Welcome back to Fig and Farm at Home. If you tuned in last week, we started a little mini series for ways that you can decorate your home by saving money. I'm going to go through that list really quickly, but I do encourage you to go back and listen to episode number, I believe it's 153. Here are the top ways that I've found that we can decorate our home on a budget. Number one is to buy used. So go thrifting go to garage sales, even say yes to the hand-me-downs. Number two, DIY, try something new and remember to start small. Number three, use what you already have. Number four, when you're designing a space, look at your calendar and shop sales specific to the holidays that are around the time that you're designing around. Or if you need to wait and plan your design around the calendar, do that. Number five, recoup a little bit of money by selling some of the things you don't need on Facebook Marketplace. Remembering that you could always benefit by having a time limit on the sale time, maybe about a week or so. Number six, understand the return policy so that you don't get stuck with something that you actually don't really love. And number seven, my biggest tip, always take some time to plan. Planning accordingly. Remember, One of the things I always like to remind you is not planning before you redesign a space, not planning before you purchase is very much like shoveling during a snowstorm or brushing your teeth while you are still eating. You wouldn't do that, right? (laughs) All right, friends. The reason I am recapping those today is because we are going to land on one of them. I'm going to teach you my top tips for how you can repurpose furniture refinish furniture, things that you should look out when you are saving money buying used items. All right, you might want to take some notes. So go grab your notebook, grab your pen, and I'll meet you back here on the other side. We grew up with the phrase, home is where the heart is, but our culture has shifted and now the message is, home should be Pinterest perfect. I'm calling BS on that message. Home, it's not about the stuff, it's about the story. And whether you know it or not, your home is a reflection of you and is already saying something. So what is it that you want it to say? Hey, I'm Danny, a former first grade teacher turned home decorator. Going from a dual income to a single income so I could stay home with my babies meant budget. Like ramen eating, goodwill shopping budget. And I learned a few things along the way. Like how to bring big style to your home without breaking the bank. And I'm sharing it all with you tips, tricks, decor, and design advice so you can learn to tell your story with your style, where you can start living free from the Pinterest perfect trap and start living a life of intention. Welcome to Fig and Farm at Home, where we design happy living and where it doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. One of my very favorite ways to save money when I'm decorating my home or a client's home is to repurpose furniture. Of course, it's always fun when you can have the new thing or feel so grown up when you buy, when you finally spend the money on the real dining room table, right? (laughs) Not, not the Ikea one that costs $65. That was me back in the day, by the way. It was actually a really great table. And I do think it was $65, our very first dining room table. Super simple. We had to screw in the legs and that was it. And it was made of pine, so it was really soft, which was fine. But as we moved from one house to another, that became my craft table, and it was pretty perfect. 
pretty perfect for a craft table. Anyway, here's the thing. We're not talking about Ikea furniture today. We're talking about when you just can't necessarily afford the expensive pieces of furniture. You have things that you could use already. You have things that are available to you, or you're ready to just try a new look. One of the very sweetest ways to decorate your home is to create a home that looks curated. And doing that really never looks like going out and buying all the stuff in one weekend. And you you have heard me. If you have been around for a while, you've heard me say that like time and time again, like I'm blue in the face saying it. And you can, you can do that. But I would highly recommend having someone, if decorating is not your thing, if it's really hard for you, I would recommend having hiring someone to make it look curated because there are ways to do that where you purchase things all at one time but it looks like you have not that's when you call in the the specialists right but when you are doing it on your own and you're thinking I have this dresser that can be redone I have this hutch that is one foot out the door I'm about ready to get rid of it I have this console table that I just it's been tossing around hanging out in the garage wherever or I would like to but I don't have the money to buy a brand new one from Crate and Barrel that's (laughs) $50,000 or what it seems what can you do you can go looking for it you can shop used or you can say yes when grandma Betty asks if you want that sideboard that she's ready to depart with you can say yes. So if you're going and you're going to thrift stores, if you're going to consignment stores, antique shops, what have you, what do you do next? (laughs) Some of you I may have already lost. Some of you are thinking there's no way in God's green earth am I going to go into one of those places. I actually have friends who are like that and they just shake their heads every time they hear me say, yep, I'm going to go. I call it junking. I'm going to go junking. I'm going to go find some treasures. And of course, I have friends who want to join me. So you may land somewhere on that continuum, anywhere between you love it, you hate it. But if you're wanting something new, can't afford a new price, aren't afraid of doing a little bit of work yourself, give it a go and keep your search just to the furniture so that you don't get overwhelmed by the other things. All right. Do you have your paper ready? Do you have your note? notebook ready, your pen ready, because these are the tips that I would use when I go. Now, the first thing is where do you go? And I get asked this question all the time. And of course, dependent on where you are, I'm in the United States, specifically the Pacific Northwest. When I'm looking for furniture, I go to places like Habitat Restore. I look online a little bit in Facebook Marketplace, absolutely, or my local online garage sale community. I like that better than Facebook Marketplace because these literally are my neighbors and they might be five miles away, but they, they're in my neighborhood. I might run into them at the local grocery store. I do not go to Goodwill. I do not. And every once in a while I go to Value Village, but Goodwill is moving away from holding furniture, carrying furniture. I go to Desiree Industries and then I stop at kind of more independent thrift stores. And if they happen to carry furniture, then I make those repeated stops for me. The other thing that I do is I shop garage sales. I do not shop estate sales. Those tend to be higher priced and they just make me sad (laughs) because I know the idea behind it is someone has passed away and they're getting rid of all their stuff. And that to me, the story, of course, there can be really wonderful things there, um, but it makes me so sad. So I don't shop estate sales 
garage sales, I do, but I I feel, interestingly enough, I can go into a thrift store, but I feel really weird about stopping at local garage sales. So I go outside of my community to go to a garage sale, which is weird. I get it, whatever. But the other thing too, is that when you start redoing some of your own furniture or you start, you know, your friends start noticing, then you become sometimes the first ask when people say, hey, I have this thing. Do you want to use it? Would you get use out of it? And that honestly, right now, I have more furniture items that way than I do when I go and source them. Now, of course, this is part of my business, refinishing furniture and selling it in my brick and mortar store. But for you, if you just show a, this is a hobby, you know, people might end up coming your way if they realize that you actually enjoy finding use out of items that are ready to be gotten rid of. Once I have scoured all of those sources, then I'm going to go into places like local antique stores or vintage retailers. Vintage more than antique, though antique, there, there's a fine line. And here's here's what you need to know. So an antique technically is not an antique until it's 100 plus years old. And vintage is up to that point. So my store happens to be a vintage you know, resale with new store. But there are antique shops that literally just sell antiques. So keep that in mind. And of course, antiques are going to be more expensive than vintage based on the based, based on the pedigree, based on <laughs> what it's made of, what brand it is, all the things. So I keep those in the very back of my mind because they tend to be more expensive. But a cute little boutique shop that sells vintage items, they are going to be more expensive than thrift stores, but they are going to be way less expensive than going and buying something new. Now, I've mentioned this tip before as well, that if you know your aesthetic, if you know your design style and you are so in tune with it, and as you go out and about and you find these local shops and vendors within these local shops who have a similar aesthetic, go back and be a repeat shopper in their space because you already know that they are going to either recreate items, they are going to curate items, they are going to to create items that align with your style. And those price points are going to be so incredibly much more reasonable than shopping at Pottery Barn for brand new. Now, here's another tip. If you find that vendor who's within the vintage vintage, uh, boutique space, antique space, whatever, if you find that vendor that you're in alignment with, alignment with design-wise, ask them the next time they're on their hunt. If you are looking for something specific, if you're looking for a 68-inch wide sideboard, we'll say, ask them, hey, would you mind keeping a lookout for this when you go? That is not an unreasonable request. It's something that is that happens a lot. And there you can expect, however, that there would be a little bit of a finder's fee should they find that when they're on their hunt because those people go more and more and more often and when you go more often you are more successful than if you just go every once in a while so don't be afraid to ask the the worst that can happen is that they say no the best that that can happen is that you kind of form a working relationship where you now are a source for their income as well but you now have a source for your thing so it's kind of a mutually beneficial relationship don't be afraid to ask of course when doing that make sure that you know your bottom line what you would be willing to pay and 
ask straight away, what is your finder's fee? Do you have a finder's fee or a markup fee so that you can be prepared and know the expectations ahead of time before you are surprised by the idea that they're going to charge you for finding this? (laughs) Tip number two, know your parameters. So what are you looking for? That is a start. If you know that you want a sideboard for your dining room, you might find a chair, you might find a couch, you might find something for your bedroom. Wonderful. But what happens when you do find a sideboard? Do you know how big it needs to be? Do you know how much space you have allotted for it? Knowing the measurements ahead of time, knowing what you need the piece to do for you. Do you want it to have drawers, storage cubbies, doors? How do you want it to serve you and your family? Knowing those things is going to be helpful, but also knowing that you might need to be a little bit flexible. If you know that you want some hidden storage, are doors okay? Or do you need to have drawers? And can you be flexible if it's one or the other? Know your bottom line as well. So if you know that you're going to be making some modifications, if you know that you're going to be putting a little work into it, what is your bottom line? How much do you want to spend on that piece? Knowing that you need to put a little work into it, knowing that there's going to be cost for supplies, knowing that you may not have ever redone a piece and you might not love it, quite honestly, the way it turns out the first time. How much of a risk do you want to take? And if you're in one of those cute little vintage boutiques and you find something that has been used, how much are you willing to spend for their work, their labor, their effort, their vision? Keep in mind that even though it is used, it is still kind of someone's piece of art, right? It is their vision brought to life and is going to be a lot less expensive than that piece at Pottery Barn. So keep those measurements, keep the idea of how much you want to spend in mind and what you want the piece of furniture to do for you. Keep all of that in mind before you go. All right, so now that you know where to go, now that you know kind of the beginning guidelines for what you're looking for, now you need to know what happens when you find a piece. So let's say you you find that sideboard and you've measured it and it is now 68 inches and it has drawers or it has doors or it has whatever it is that you need. How do you make sure that it's actually the piece that should go home with you? Tip number three is to really take in the structure of the piece. This is where understanding your aesthetic is really important. If you know that you are not a fan of traditional design, but the piece that you're looking at is highly, highly traditional, that might not be the piece for you. If you know that you really tend to gravitate towards clean lines and more of a mid-century vibe, and the piece before you is like that, fantastic, or has the potential to become that. We're going to talk about the potential in just a minute, but understanding the bones behind the piece. Do you like the general structure? We're not looking at things yet with a fine tooth comb. We're just looking at the way that there are curves or no curves. We're looking at the way that there are details that are added that make the piece read a certain way. When it's facing forward, how does it read to the person that's seeing it? Does it read traditional? Does it read stuffy? Does it read cozy? Does it read modern? How does it read and how does it present itself? You're looking at the bones and the structure. And does the structure align with your design style? Once you've checked that box and you realize, yep, actually the structure is great, the bones are great, now you're going to take the fine tooth comb, the magnifying glass, the microscope, really your 
sniffer, all the things, you're going to take it and you're going to test this piece in a way that could look uncomfortable to the observer. (laughs) Why would we do that? We want to check to make sure that nothing is broken and that if things are broken, that you are able to fix it. You are evaluating really what does it take to bring this piece back to either its original state or to a state that you really want it to live in your home, knowing that it might not live in the current state that it is. It might need to be modified in some way. What kinds of things need to be done in order to make it appearable, to make it guest ready or whatever phrase you might use in order to make it presentable in your home. So you're going to check you're going to open up all the drawers, make sure that the drawer poles are all working, making sure that the the little tracks that the drawers run on are all working, that the hinges are good. You're going to check the feet to make sure that the feet, if there are feet, are stable, that it doesn't wobble. You're going to check to make sure that there's backing. You're going to check for stains. You're going to check for smells. Yes, this is where it gets a little uncomfortable. Open up the doors, open up the drawers, and put your nose in the... <laughs> in that piece. Now there are some modifications I'm going to talk about in just a second of how you can remediate those that will make purchasing something hopefully feel a little bit more like you might feel confident doing that. But if it has a really pungent smell, if it has something that smells like it has been around in the dank dark basement since 1852, maybe pass. If it has a, a slight odor, okay, great, we can work with that. If it has a smoky odor, if it smells like it has lived in a home that was a chain smoker, maybe a family of chain smokers, maybe pass on that. Because if it's wood, it is going to be porous, it's going to hold that in and getting that smell out or blocked takes a little bit of extra time. So knowing if you want to remediate that or if you have the effort in order to remediate that, that's also good to know. If there are any repairs that need to be made, let's say the track on the the drawer is broken, take a look at the way that it's attached. Is it attached in a way that you can fix it yourself? Or is it something that you need to ask a friend, your husband, a neighbor? How are you going to fix it? And is it in your wheelhouse? You're going to be really realistic in this evaluation because what you don't want is to bring home a piece of furniture with best intentions and then it sits there for two years. We don't want that. We don't have space for that or time for that or effort for that. We want to make sure that what we're doing, the plan that we have in place is going to be act upon. Now, a couple things that you're going to run into and some remediations for them. If it smells and it's just a slight odor, don't necessarily say no to it, but you need to know how to fix it. And some of the fixes I've run into are just giving it a good wipe down, giving it a good wipe down with soap and water, placing some kitty litter in a box in the door, in the drawer, and shutting the doors so that you the kitty litter will absorb the odors. Same thing with baking soda or vinegar can also absorb some of the odors. So those are some ways that you can remediate a slight scent. Another thing you can think about too is if you're going to be painting it, it doesn't always work depending on the paint you're going to be using, but using a paint blocker, not necessarily a primer because we, if the the smell is so strong and yucky, you might want to block it and seal it in. And sometimes using kills can be a good option. It depends, however, on the paint you're going to be using on top of it. So make sure you check all labels. Make sure you check all manufacturer's labels on 
kills on the paint that you're going to be using and definitely not if you're going to be staining it. But what happens when you find a piece and it isn't necessarily broken, but it has some gouges or it has some little scratches or it has some watermarks and you want to maybe restore it rather than paint it. Can you do that? Well, here are some options for you. If it has little scratches, like it might look like they're not super deep, they're more superficial, but it definitely looks like maybe a cat got to it or a, uh, you know, someone wrote something on, on the top of the dresser and there was a, an indent. It doesn't necessarily need to be filled with wood filler, but what you can do, and if you're not allergic, you can get a walnut, crack open the walnut, and then the nut itself, you want to break so that you have fresh oils from the walnut and you can rub it onto the scratch. And that will, if it's not laminate, if it's solid wood, the oils from the walnut will absorb into the wood and it will almost act as a filler, not a filler because the scratch will still be there, but the wood color, the tone will, will continue to match the tone of the wood that it was on. I don't know the science behind that. Please, if someone knows the science, I would really love to know. This is something that I've used as a trick for years and years, and I, I, I'm probably being too lazy. I don't know the science behind it. I know that it works. So if you know, pop into my Facebook group, let me know why that works, because it's not always just walnut wood. If you're thinking it's walnut wood, that's why. It's not just walnut wood. I've seen it with teak. I've seen it with mahogany. I've seen it with other types of wood. Okay, if there are big gouges, this might not be a candidate for taking it back down to the original surface or restaining. It might not be a candidate. So you do need to be thinking about that. Now, if it has a big gouge in it, something that looks like a chunk came off, depending on where it's at, it will depend on what you do to it. Sometimes you can remove the veneer on top and you can put a really thin piece of uh, balsa wood or thin plywood as the extra layer. Sometimes you need to fill it with wood filler. It really depends on what it is. But in that case, it's generally not going to be a candidate for restaining. It might need to then be something that you do to paint it, to modify it that way. So understanding the difference between a gouge and a scratch is going to be critical. And what your intention to, for the piece is to begin with. If it has a water stain, you can try getting the water stain out by using a knit shirt, a white, I would strongly suggest using a white knit shirt, something that has no lint that comes off of it and putting a, a light, uh, low temperature iron on top of that to rub it out, to, to absorb the stain. And this is one where you need to be patient. It's not going to come out the first time you rub over it. It's not going to come out the second time you rub over it, probably the third or the fourth. You're going to need to continue applying that pressure, applying that heat, and moving the uh, towel in order to get that stain lifted. But that will, that will help and modify it. And sometimes when you just sand down a piece, you will still have that watermark. So you do need to take the effort in order to get that stain lifted if you're not going to be painting it for the final product. And knowing what your final product is, is so incredibly important as you investigate. 
Are you wanting to change out knobs, change out handles? Are you wanting to take off pieces that might be a little bit of detail work? Are you wanting to change the legs? Are you wanting to take it down to raw wood? Are you wanting to paint it? Knowing what kind of paint you're going to use, milk paint, chalk paint, latex paint, what are you going to do in order to modify it if that is the intention? If it is not I don't want to say suitable, but if it's not going to go live in your home as is, what are the plans in place for it? And just like if there are repairs to be made and thinking realistically about who's going to do that when it's going to be happening, the same thing should be done with the modifications that you want to bring to it. Who's going to be doing them? Do you have the skill set? Do you have the time? And when is it going to be done? Those are all important considerations to make. Even looking at your calendar, setting aside time, a couple hours to learn what it is that you want to do to it, a couple hours to actually get started, a couple hours to try it and maybe have to continue fiddling with it, and a couple days to let it sit and cure. So be mindful of all of the time it takes in order to transform a piece from the way that you find it in that used state to the way that you want it to look in your home. And tip number five is to start small. If you've never redone a project, if you've never painted a project, you've never fixed little stain, uh, little water stains, gouges, you've never stained something, you've never sanded anything down, you, you just have, you're brand new. You are very green at this. Don't be intimidated by a project, but I would encourage you to start small. Maybe don't start with that big piece you want as center stage, front and center on your focal wall in your dining room. Maybe don't start there. Maybe start with something a little bit smaller. Maybe start with a side table and give that a go. Try out the technique that you want to use for the piece that you're envisioning. Give it a go. Give it some practice. Give it some time. The more you practice, the better you will get. And not only that, but every time you do a modification like this to a piece of furniture that you're bringing into your space, you are putting one more stamp of your personality into your home space. And that is always a good thing. Now, I want to see all of your inspiring projects. So if you have ever stained or sanded down or painted or modified your piece of furniture, I want to know. I want to see pictures. So come on over to the Facebook group. Let us see. Post some of your pictures so that we can all be inspired and encouraged to put our stamp of personality into our own, our own spaces, just like you did. All right, friends, and be sure to stop by the Facebook group too to leave your tip for how you shop used for used furniture. Leave that tip in the Facebook group so that we can encourage and inspire those around us who are trying to create curated homes. All right, friends, until next time, I will see you soon. Hey, real quick before you go, if you learned something new or found value in today's podcast, would you head over to iTunes to Fig and Farm at Home and leave a review and subscribe to the show? that would be awesome. And if you'd like to connect with my community of mamas who are learning to be intentional storytellers within their own homes, join us at bit.ly forward slash design 101 group. There's always more room at the table. See you soon.